0: I love the last song that we just sang, how God's love never fails. And when I think about our culture, I don't know how well we do with the, the topic, the feeling, the emotion, the expression of love. Think about yourself for a moment. How well do you do at love? How good are you at expressing love, feeling love, generating love, receiving love, demonstrating love. You know, you think about your own childhood and growing up because it has a lot to play into this. And that just the whole idea of, of how we love and how we were loved and how we were loved will totally affect how we love into the future and how we express our love. And there's one thing that came, came is becoming abundantly clear as we talk about what would you do if you had 30 days to live? What would you do differently? And there's this overwhelming response toward, I would be with my family, I would be with my friends, I would, I would quit my job, I would do all this kind of stuff, because all of a sudden we realize this tremendous value of the family and of, of the people that we love. But again, I wonder... Without quitting your job today, because you may hopefully have longer than thirty days to live, but I wonder if we could take that 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 passion that we spoke of last week and and turn it and pour passion into love, and, and to really really figure out how to love, how to love well, how to love good, how to how to do it right, and how to receive it well and good and right, and how to multiply it well and good and right. And this is not a this is not a message on on dating or marriage or parenting. This is just a message on relationships. And we have them all around us. We, they come and go. They, they're here and they're gone. And we, uh, we sometimes take them for granted. And sometimes we deeply appreciate them. But I hope more than anything that there's a deep, meaningful love relationship that you have. I hope you have that relationship with God. I hope you have it with people in your, in your life. But I, I realize more and more the longer I'm in ministry, and this December I will celebrate 23 years of being in ministry full-time as, 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 a, as, as my life calling and, and vocation. And, and I've realized this three weeks into my first pastoral position. Now just mind you, I was less than 21 years of age, hadn't graduated college, And I am encountered by a person in the church who has just been unfaithful to their spouse. And I didn't know the first thing to do. I had missed that class on how do you address that and how do you resolve that issue. But... The, the amazing thing is God did a great work in that marriage and it was restored and there was this reconciliation that happened and it was not because of any magic wand that I waved over it, it was because I think there was some deep foundations and some momentary stupidity that, that kind of came into the marriage that nearly wrecked it uh, in a matter of a decision, a, a bad decision. And I just want to come back to this, that for the past 23 years, what I have seen in Africa and America, around the world, is people married for long years, people in good relationships, go to bad relationships, and they're not infidelity all the time, but there are many times that that we just don't know how to love. We don't know how to give love, receive love, multiply love. We don't know. And, And so what happens is when we experience love gone bad... It bruises us. It wounds us. And we'll say, I'll never let that happen again. Now, we may not cognitively, mentally, verbally say that, but subconsciously we say that to ourselves. I will not feel this pain again. We start building up layers and walls that separate us from other love relationships that could ever be in there. Because it's typically the ones that we love the most are the ones that hurt us the deepest. And so, therefore, the pain is so great, and we're not going to do that. We're never going to go there again. So, we build up this wall of protection that really just guards us from ever connecting with people ever again. We've got to realize that love is messy, love is painful, love is costly. Love is an amazing experience, it's an amazing expression. You can't live without it, but sometimes you can't live with it and you don't know what to do about it. So how is it that that we have love, but yet at the same time, love is messy, costly, painful and all that kind of stuff? Surely it's, it's, it's not all corrupt and I would say absolutely not. If we understood, and this is where I'm saying our deficiency is, if we understood what real love was, if we had it modeled for us, if we had a good Parental example. If we had good relationship experiences, love can be the thing that carries you through life. God is known as love. All right, in scripture, so love can't be bad. But the problem is, is that sometimes we live without it because we've been hurt by it. And Paul makes it quite clear that we are nothing. We're bankrupt. We're zeros. We're knots. We're nobodies. Unless we understand and live with love in us. I don't care how theologically sound you are or how figured out God you are. If you don't have love, you have nothing. And many of you all know the passage that I'm referring to is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. I'm going to read just a three ver- or a couple of verses out of uh, out of it here, out of the message. It says, if I speak with, with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have love, I'm nothing. But if but but the crackling of a rusty gate. If I speak with the word, with God's word, with power and re, uh, revealing all mysteries and make everything plain as day, and if I have the faith that can say to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, and and I and, and I don't love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even uh, go to to the, uh, to the to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love. I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. That's not a message, that's a paraphrased version of what you'll find as a translation. But I just want you to just hang on that. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm bankrupt without love. Love is absolutely priceless. And if we only have one month to live, I hope that we will fully love fully in the key word there, completely key word there, not just have a little bit of love, not just selectively love, not just conditionally love, but that we will love completely. And I think because of maybe some bad baggage of our past, because of some broken relationships, because maybe it wasn't modeled in our homes growing up, we don't fully know what complete love looks like. And so, I, I, I you know, I wish I could take you to another example, but I really can't. Uh, the best example of this is our Father God, who loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son. And you might know the verse I'm referring to is John three sixteen. You find it everywhere i mean it's it's a very popular verse that you see out there you 'll see it uh, at, at sports games you 'll see fanatics wearing it tattooed on their body you you can't you can 't get away from love it's just it 's just everywhere around it 's tattooed on the bodies it's uh, Tim Tebow wears them under his uh, under his eyes you, you know in and out burgers you got to love those and even under their cups you can 't get away from it john three sixteen is everywhere uh so In the midst of the familiarity, I don't want us to get lost. I want us to understand John 3.16 today. This may be 101 Christianity, but it also may be the best verse for us to understand how we can love. Love completely. Love those around us. Love fully. Love freely. And just by looking at how God loved us and loves us, we can learn how to love other people. Think about it. Find in your Bibles the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to read a few of those verses here in just a moment. But what we'll see in this passage of Scripture before we get there, the context is as Jesus is speaking to this Nicodemus guy at night, and he comes to him at night, and he's talking to him. He's this this law-abiding Pharisee, but he's also seeking truth. And I love that about Nicodemus. And so Nick comes to him, and he asks him questions. Now, Jesus starts introducing some theological phrases there that catches Nicodemus off. One, saying you've got to be born again if you're going to go to heaven. All right, that's one of the things, kind of a new concept that he introduces to him, which blows the mind of Nicodemus. What do you mean you've got to be born again? How do I go back into my mother's womb and all that kind of stuff? He said, no, 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 no. You've got to be born of, of water. That's that birth, that natural birth that happens. And then you've got to be born of the Spirit. And that's so important if you ever hope to experience eternal life now that 's the second concept that Jesus, in his ministry, he really unpacks and unfolds for us is eternal life and uh, so when you think about eternal life it 's not something that was a new concept. The Egyptians were already talking about eternal life. they mummified people uh, years before Jesus ever walked the earth, so they, there was already a belief of eternal life that 's always been there but what else? What beyond that? What is that? What can we get definition to? And so what is eternal life? And so hopefully today when we leave here, you will know in greater detail what it means to have eternal life. And it doesn't just mean time-wise, okay? It means so much more than that. And we'll get there in a few moments. But as you think about this passage of scripture, let's look at it. But let's not just read John 3.16. Let's read some of the other verses in context. All right, verse, verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, whoever, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, that's what we all know. We've probably memorized probably the very first verse that we memorize. There's so much to that, and we'll come back and unpack that one verse in a moment. But Jesus didn't stop there. Verse 17 says it, says it like this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why He came but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Alright? That's why Jesus came. He came not to condemn us, but to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us, uh, to be our Savior. Uh, Whoever believes in Him, conditional clause there, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Okay? That's an important thing there. But the next statement is probably just as important. uh, And don't miss it. So, but whoever does not believe in Him, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now that last phrase is so important because it just gives the present state of all humanity. Alright? Everybody on the planet needs to understand something. That we are fallen individuals. We're messed up. We're marred. Jared spoke about it in the singing time. It's something we've got to get into our mind. That we are messed up, jacked up people. That if Until we have believed, okay, where are we? We are condemned already. We are living in a condemned state. It's like we are walking in life, living out our life in a condemned state. Now, the great news is that Jesus Christ came to reverse that condemnation. He came to set us free. And He did that out of what? Why did He do such a thing? Why did He go to the cross? What was the whole motivating factor? John 3, 16. For God, so loved. The motivating factor of God reversing the the, the fate of mankind, of God reversing our sins, of God dying on the cross, the whole motivation of everything that God did in sending His one and only Son was love. So if we're going to talk about loving completely, you don't need to go very far beyond John 3.16 to get the best picture of love. Now, what you can do with this picture of love is now transpose that into your life. How do I love my wife? How do I love my children? How do I love my neighbors? How do I love my enemies? How do I love the world? How do I I love? Do I love completely? Or is it a very fragmented, conditional kind of love? So let's unpack the love of God and hopefully repack it into our life. Are we tracking together? Hopefully so. Got your Bibles? Let's look at this. I want us to take three looks at love. Complete, full, overflowing, God's perfect love for us. And again, take that and put that into our life. The first thing we can't miss is the scope of God's love. All right? This is the height. This is the width. This is the depth. I would hope that through this process, we would have a deeper, a broader A more exhaustive and complete love. Because what what does John 3.16 say? It says, For God so loves the what? World. He gives us the scope. It's not limited to God bless America. It's not limited to my little family. It's not limited to the people that are like me and that I like and we like each other. Therefore, I'm going to love them like Jesus loved them. No, Jesus had this all-consuming, global kind of love. Now, some people really don't get it why Grace Point emphasizes the world so much. We don't emphasize the world in in exclusion to our neighbors. We do both and. But why in the world would we send, we have a team right now, on their way to Africa, to West Africa, to go to a village, to live in a village with people who, many of them, don't know Christ and to do that, why, why, would we, why would we do such a thing unless it was motivated out of some sort of gain or some sort of expression? Well, I can tell you right now, if that's the village you're going to, there's not a lot of gain there, all right? There's got to be something deeper. And the motivation of what we do, why we do it, is out of love, all right? Now, this morning, the team is actually, they're on a plane now, but I, I got this, I got a. Quick video interv- uh, quick video from them as they were in Brussels, Belgium. And so uh, hopefully we'll, we can play that now. So yeah, we're already filmed.
1: Hey, no, you, you, you guys are looking
0: good. This is jet Lag.
1: One <laughs> night together, and look how close we are. Who's Josh? <laughs> uh, okay. From here, it's downhill here from here, so do it hey. now. Oh, wait, it's on.
0: <laughs> All, All right, go. go. Oh, good go. morning, church family. Uh, welcome from Brussels, Belgium. Belgium. <laughs> Thank you. Where it's been we? a long night. Uh, as you get, as you see this this morning, we are actually going to be on the plane to Bamako. Woo! And so, yeah! so, so we're asking you to pray for us. Pray for open hearts and open yeah. minds
1: as we share the gospel. And know that we are praying for you. And Benville. Yeah! Make it
0: All right. <laughs> So you got the latest update from them uh, as they're now in, in, in the air. So pray for them as they go because they're living passionately, but they're living passionately, just not recklessly into this world. Notice how these tie together. They're living passionately, but that, that is being channeled with love. See, you can live passionately reckless for yourself in some kind of hedonistic kind of way, or you can take that passion, mix it as a cocktail with love, and see what comes out of it. What if we were to live with a scope of love that God has for the world, passionately, making our life count in a global kind of way? I think we're getting at that point. We're getting it at that point. But it's not just loving Globally, it's loving locally. That's why next week we're going to do this, um, this Hope in Action Day and, and hopefully share love with our own neighbors. And so hopefully you're going to be a part of that and you'll have a chance to sign up for that actually right now in your, in your bulletin. You can, you can do that. But I want us to understand love because I really think that we're, we're missing that. So understanding love and what love is, is you have to kind of go back to some of the root words of it from a, from a biblical standpoint. And there's basically three Greek words that you find out there that represent love. When we think of love, the way Hollywood presents love is many times just an eros love, all right? Eros is this kind of, uh, of love that is uh, erotic. We get the word ero- erotic from eros. It's a passionate love. It's a, a love between a husband and a wife. That kind of love, you want to go on forever. Now that love, though, is fed, I think in large part, by the next kind of love, phileo love. Phileo love is brotherly love, all right? Uh, uh, the Bible even speaks of how a, a friend is closer than a brother. And, and how, how you can have that is because you'll have phileo love, which is, which is a brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is named after this one word. So you can see how if I love my spouse, if I love my world, if I love people around me, that 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 is a beautiful kind of love. But you're not going to, hopefully not, give Eros love to everyone. All right? That's not a good thing. All right? And you're probably not going to really phileo love a lot of people either. If you have one or two great friends in life, then count yourself really blessed. But there's another kind of love. And I think this love is walloped off in our culture. We don't, we don't do this one. We call this like. We call this being kind or, or something like that. But it's more than that. It's the agape love. And it is, it is a love that, is, that speaks of care, that speaks of kindness, courteous, compassionate. That's the kind of love that is undeserved. Now, I would be expected to eros my wife. I would be expected to phileo my closest friends. But how far does my agape love go? This word in this passage in John 3, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world. It's the word agape. For God so agape the world. He loved the world. He was kind. He was considerate. He was compassionate with the world. And you think, yes, that's good. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Thank you, God, for sending your son. We, you and I, as bearers of the name of Christ, are called to go right back into this world and to agape this world. Kindness, consideration, compassionate, kind of relationships that we're supposed to have with ranked strangers. Again, remember, the scope of God's love is around the world. So even if you don't know them, you can love them. All right? If you love them the way Christ does. And so loving the way Christ does is an agape love. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 34 says, Jesus said a new commandment, I give you that you agapeo one another, that you would love one another. Now, how do you love people? How, how do we do this? Again, we kind, of, we kind of third grade it. Your puppy love it. But I want us to go deep with this. How do you go deeper in love with, with strangers? And, and I think one of the ways that we can do this is through just mere acceptance. Accepting one another. Now, there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance. The Bible speaks of accepting, accepting one another. In Romans 15, 7, it says, accept one another. So we, we should, but tolerance is the, the, the word of our day. The word of our day of tolerance being that, that I'm going to accept you and I'm not going to say anything bad about the way you're living your life. Acceptance says, I'm going to accept you, but I'm going to love you so much that I'm not going to let you live a train wreck life. That I may, I love you so much that I'm going to step in front of you as, as I love you and I'm, I'm going to try to help, help with your life. All right, tolerance has no backbone to it. But acceptance has a backbone. It has an arm. It has a heart. It embraces the other person. Who they are, where they are, messed up as they are, but hopefully takes them to a new level. So acceptance is the way we love a ranked stranger. Accept them and embrace them. That's what we're told to do. The verse, this agape word just continues to, to go throughout the Scriptures because in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, is a clincher. He tells us to agapeo, your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. Now, whoa. whoa, whoa. I'm fine with loving someone whom I know or trying to love my neighbor whom I'm trying to get to know. But this is a different story. This is at a different level. In fact, I really wish this verse wasn't in the Bible. I really wish it wasn't. It would make it a lot easier to understand it and to unpack it. But to really love, to show care and compassion, to be kind and courteous to someone that is my enemy, to someone who has offended and hurt me. How in the What are you thinking? I mean, surely that's a typo. Surely Jesus doesn't expect us as, as just simple humans to go out and do that. But yes, He does. Again, it's the kind of life that Jesus modeled. He didn't wait for you and I to stop offending Him before He loved us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way. God shows His agapeo for us in that while we were still sinners. He says He died for us. This is where, again, I think we have a very narrow, shallow, very mud puddly kind of love. And I think what we need to do is we need to understand the scope of love. And it is not a mud puddle. It is an ocean. And it's how can I love even my enemy? How can I love people who have even offended me? I want you to hear a lengthy testimony of a lady who went through this one month to live challenge and how God began to help her love somebody who had offended her.
1: Well, 2006 was pretty much a devastating year for me. Um, I had been with my husband for 30 years, and at Christmas he presented me with divorce papers. And I didn't think that I would ever experience anything more painful and more devastating than that until April the 13th. 2006 came along. Brian is my, was my 22-year-old son who was away at college. Brian was found on a couch with his guitar and they had just assumed that maybe he had through the depression of his father leaving because Brian took that very very hard that maybe he had taking drugs or something. As a mother I knew that that wasn't true because my son had a relationship with God. He had been baptized in 2000. On October the 4th I got a telephone call from the district attorney telling me that two men had been arrested in Brian's death for killing him. One of the young men who had been on a parole violation uh, when Brian was killed um, They had settled with another county, his charges, and he was being extradited to the county where Brian was killed. And I would stand trial the next week, which was the 9th of October. And could I come and make a statement? And then I prayed to God, just God just help me here? Because I I don't know what to do. Well, I met in the district attorney's office, and he asked me if I... had my statement and I said actually I do I have a copy of it here and she said may I see it and so he read the letter and he excused himself and came back and, uh, and he said we're going to take you into the courtroom and so they took me into the courtroom and they brought Jeremy into the, to the box and he's the young man that is on trial for the death of my son. Then the judge said, "Miss McDonough, uh, you know now is your time to speak." And so he brought me up to the front of the court, and then he started telling me, "Now, Miss McDonough, this is a court of law, and we will not have any shouting or cussing or or any kind of anger directed at the." at the young man and, you know, you, you must speak in a dignified tone and, um, and you may have the floor when, when you're ready. And I just picked myself back up and I said, you know, I don't know what you were thinking on April the 13th when Brian died. And I'm not really sure that it even matters now. But what does matter is what you're thinking now. And, uh, So, I just want you to know that I forgive you, and I do it selfishly, because uh, I see God standing over there with His hand on your shoulder, pleading with me to forgive you. And this was part of my letter to Jeremy that uh, from this day forward it is my prayer that you be a saver of lives and not one that destroys lives your path has made it possible for you to be a shining example of the power of God in someone's life. If Brian's life had to be sacrificed so that you are able to save thousands of broken lives, including your own, then he did not die in vain, and I find comfort in God's will being done. Before we walked out, Jeremy said, "Miss McDonough, he said, I would hug you if I could, but if I were to even start towards you these men would throw me down on the floor and I said that's all right Jeremy I, I know how you feel and so when we're walking out of course they escorted him out first and his box was right there that he had to sit in so when I went by I patted him on the back and just and when I did that I saw the judge stand up and he goes Miss McDonough and I thought I'm fixing to go to jail for assault or something and he said, will you come here? And I and I went over to, to where he was. And he reached over and put out his hand. And he goes, uh, I just want to tell you that that was just an incredible letter. And may I have a copy of it? He said, because there are other people that need to hear those words that you said. I just think that if you have an opportunity to reach your hand out and grab somebody and say, come over to this side and experience love. And that's what you should do. And I would spend my 30 days just reassuring Jeremy that life can be so good and to uh, be this incredible young man that he can be.
0: When I talk about the scope of love and it's something like that, it's outside of my paradigm. And that's where we have to be stretched. Because the love that Jesus had is the love that we should have. And the willingness to love even our enemies. That's the scope. Number two, don't miss the sacrifice of God's love. He gave His only Son. He gave His only Son. Clearly this mother had every right to be as angry and as bitter as she could be, but, but she gave what, what this guy going to jail, being on trial, Jeremy, could never earn. She gave it because forgiveness is always given. And you sacrifice sometimes something that's really valuable to you, your right, your position, whatever, so that you can make things right. And so that you can love fully and completely. Now maybe you don't have a horrific story like that. Maybe you just have the simple simplicity of life and, and learning how to sacrifice in love and doing it the way Jesus did it. And taking my life and my time and my talents and my treasures and saying, you know what? All of this God is yours. If I can love the world with my time and my talents, my treasures, my all, my dreams, then here it is, God. My definition, I picked it up a long time ago on sacrifice, is this. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for someone you love even more. and Finding how in your heart to give up. Don't miss John 3.16. Don't miss the full impact of what God gave up when He gave up His one and only Son. The problem is, again, our, our love is so shallow, it's so weak, it's so anemic that we don't love well, we don't love deep, we don't love sacrificial. We kind of want to control our love like we want to control our relationship with God. Wilbur Reese wrote a statement one time that was kind of a pathetic story, I think, of many people's faith. So let me read it to you. This guy kind of lives out the story of being in a relationship with God. And he says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk and a snooze or snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. You know, I know that that's probably not how you would express it, but I hope that you would express it, that God, I want all of you. And out of all of you, I'm going to give all of me. However, whenever, whatever. Time, talents, treasures, it's all up for you, God. Let me just tell you, this is a very practical way, and I just this is going to be a a great time, but we we shared a vision with our church a, a year ago. We call it Envision. It was much larger than just one component. We had the vision that we wanted to alleviate orphan needs in northwest Arkansas. Again, we want to love children that aren't being loved. We want to love children that are being abused. And so many of our families have stepped up to that. We have had another adoption discovery class coming up really soon. So many of our families are stepping up and either foster parenting or, uh, or, or, or adopting or, or maybe their body life group is linking up with, a, with, with, a, with a, a foster family and helping pour into them. We just want our entire church to be saturated, loving, sacrificially loving, all those that, uh, that are in our neighborhood. We also talked about in a big, hairy, audacious goal uh, that we would reach the Bomber people of West Africa. Again, unknown, unnamed, unreached. Less than 2% of them are followers of Christ. It's a part of our big vision. We want to we do that. That's where the team is going. That's why we had to send more teams. That's why we're, we're developing an entire strategy behind it. Because we want to love sacrificially giving up our time, our talents, our treasures. As you see the expansions happening, that's a part of the envision. It's part of what we're doing. It's a part. Why? So we can make space in northwest Arkansas. You might have noticed in the bulletin when you came in that, that we're going to four gatherings. You might see room in, in this room right now, uh, but we are getting at that point where even in this gathering it's growing and it's filling up, but the next gathering we're literally breaking the law. We're breaking fire code. In our, in, our, in, our, in our second gathering. We've got to stop that. And, and I know we're nine months away from being in the new building, but we have to stop it now. It's not safe. And so we're going to be moving to four gatherings. We need you to step up. We need you to sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasures, because we have 40 positions in the preschool area alone that children are going to need to be taught. Making space now, because we can't just wait for bricks and sticks to make space. We need to make space. These are our new times coming up in October. Start making plans. 30 minutes earlier, don't move out of this service. We need you in this service. Stay. Come to the 8 o'clock service instead of the 8.30 service. All of this, what's all of this about? This is one of the ways we practically show love. We sacrificially show love. Think of ways of people in your life that you can sacrificially show love to. Erwin McMahon said in his great book, An Unstoppable Force, he said radical changes outside the church demand even more radical sacrifices from within the church. I hope we are a congregation of followers of Christ who are serious about loving people sacrificially. Thirdly, and I'm finished, when you look at the love of God and you look at your love, I hope there's a sweetness about it. I hope there's a sweetness about it. And he makes it very clear that those who believe in him will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. They will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. I love this verse. I mean, it gives us the promise. It gives us the hope. It gives us the love. It gives us the motivation. It gives us this idea of it's a futuristic event, but it's really not. It's a never-ending. Life is never-ending when you enter into this relationship with God. It never ends. It's right now. I'm living in eternal life. I'm, I'm living with Christ. I'm in this relationship with Christ, and it never ends. Whenever my body dies, my life never ends. It just goes on and on and on in relationship with Him. But this verse, you've got to understand as he's talking about this never-ending relationship with God. When he talks about eternal life, I'll give you eternal life and you'll never perish. This relationship with Him is the sweetness of a relationship with Him but it speaks of a quality and a quantity. Because when you, when you define eternal life, it's not just that I'm going to keep living. Look at uh, John chapter 14, verse 3. It says this, This is eternal life. So he defines it. That they, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It speaks of both quantity and quality. That you know him, that's what eternal life is. You're in a relationship with God Almighty, that's what eternal life is. God is walking with you, that's what eternal life is. You're walking with God, that's what eternal life is. It's not just that I'm going to go to heaven one day, all right? It is more. It is now, it is here, it is present. That word know, that you know him, is actually the Greek word gnosko, which is the intimate kind of knowing. Like a husband and wife would know each other. We can intimately know God. We know it because He loved us. He loves us enough. He loved the whole world. He loves us enough to send His Son, sacrificially. And with that comes eternal life. A sweet, intimate relationship with God Almighty. Now, we all know John 3.16, don't we? Jesus lived John 3.16. But my question, are we living 1 John 3.16? First 1 John 3.16 is our call by God to live, John 3.16. It says, by this we know love. By what? By looking at Christ. That He laid down His life for us. We ought, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It literally. So he said, because of what Jesus did, so we should replicate that into our life. The love that Jesus and God had for us, that all scope, love, enemies, the world, that's the kind of love, the neighbor across the street, the annoying teammate, the boss, who, whatever. Th- that kind of love that He had for us, that sacrificial love that He had for us, that sweet love that He had for us, so we ought to love our, our neighbors. So we ought to love our brothers. So we ought to love people around us. We ought to replicate that in our life. How do you love people? There's so many ways. The Bible has so many one another's that, that tell us how to love one another. We can, we can be kind to one another, and we can, we can forgive an injustice that, that has been committed against us. We can speak truth and love to one another. We can restore a fallen relationship. We can express gratitude to one another. Just take that one. Let's just take one because we can list 101 others. Let's just take one. Expressing gratitude. Who in this world, who in your world needs you to express love to them by simply saying thank you? Again, we don't do love well, so I'm just going to make it 101, okay? We're going to make it kindergarten level today. Who in your world needs a great big thank you from you? needs an expression of gratitude from you. Maybe it's a family member, or a friend. Maybe it's somebody that serves you well and you just take him for granted. I don't know. Who is it? What we're going to do in our time now in the remaining time is we're going to give you that opportunity. Dayspring has provided us with cards and all of these stations here. There's four baskets across the front. There's thank you cards. There's pens. The band's going to come back up They're going to sing. They're going to lead us in a time. But I want you to take this time, the remaining part of our service here, and I want you to find someone to express gratitude to. You can come up here and grab one of these cards. There's pens. There's there's envelopes. Grab them. Guys, don't grab the pink ones. Leave those for the ladies. Uh, But grab a card and start writing thank you. And We're going to make it so easy for you. You're going to come get a card. You're going to write the card. You're going to say thank you to that person. You're going to start the love life that maybe you've never had. You're going to love maybe a stranger. Who is it? Who can you love? The scope, the, the, the sacrifice. You know, who, who is it? And then you're going to write that. And if you will come up and put it back on the table, we'll even mail it for you. All right? You just need to address it and put it there. If you don't know the address, obviously we can't do that. But if you know the address, then, 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 then turn it in. And we'll mail it for you. It'll be seamless. This is your time. Let me pray for you. God. Thank you for your love. How simple? How simple is it to talk about? We watch Hollywood mess it up all the time. And all we have to do is go to John 3.16. And then we have to read 1 John 3.16 and find that we're called to love the same way. The exact same way you loved us we're called to love. Lord, I would pray during this time you would help us to find gratitude, to express that gratitude to those around us.